Join us now for Health for Life, brought to you by Hamilton Healthcare System. Today, we're talking with Dr. Ashish Kabir of Hamilton Physician Group in Dalton. Dr. Kabir is a neurologist at Hamilton Physician Group Neurology, located inside the medical plaza across from Hamilton Medical Center. Dr. Kabir attended medical school at All Saints University, Dominica. His internship and residency in neurology at the Medical College of Wisconsin and his fellowship in clinical neurophysiology at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Dr. Kabir and Dr. Juan Gonzalez diagnose, treat, and manage issues related to the brain, spinal cord, nerves, and muscles. They specialize in the care and treatment of Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, seizure disorders, migraines, carpal tunnel syndrome, and strokes. Today, Dr. Kabir will be talking with us about multiple sclerosis and other neuromuscular disorders. Dr. Kabir, we have a whole lot of ground to cover today. Let's start with multiple sclerosis. What is multiple sclerosis? So multiple sclerosis is an unpredictable disease of the nervous system, which is, you know, the brain, the spinal cord, nerves that are central. It's what we think is an immune-mediated disorder. What generally happens is that the immune system sort of incorrectly correctly attacks brain, spinal cord, eye tissue in other tissue in the in the central nervous system. So the damage to the central nervous system there, it interferes with the transmission of nerve signals between the brain and spinal cord and other parts of the body. And that uh, leads to all the problems that you have with multiple sclerosis. And then I would say that most people are diagnosed between the ages of 20 and 50. But I have seen patients who are children and much older adults who have been diagnosed for the first time with MS. Are some people more likely than other folks to get MS? Yeah, so, you know, MS really is seen in in many, many different patient populations, but women are about uh, two to three times more likely than men. Why do you Uh, think that is? Yeah, that's, uh, there's, this has been sort of very um, heavily speculated. Incidence of autoimmune diseases or diseases where the body attacks itself like rheumatoid arthritis and lupus are higher in women as well. So we think this might be just that, but I don't think we have a great explanation as to exactly why. That being said, there are certain genetic factors, certain things like uh, diet and lifestyle habits that might be more common in women or problems with those things might be more common in women. Maybe that would explain where this comes from. The truth is that nobody really knows. And the uh, important thing to caution about, of course, is you know if you're looking for a multiple sclerosis patient, you automatically think a woman. And that's really not true. For example, African-American men, multiple sclerosis can be very aggressive. And uh, it's even more important to identify the disease and treat early in patients like that. So that's why this matters. So is MS a common disease? About uh, two and a half million people maybe um, carry the diagnosis of multiple sclerosis. There's uh, been some talk about developed countries. It tends to be diagnosed better. So I think we are actually lowballing those numbers in underdeveloped countries, if that's the right term to use. But uh, in the United States, about a million people. So not uncommon, certainly. Well, if you say two and a half million people worldwide, one million in the United States, you would have to think that that is a low number compared to who actually has multiple sclerosis. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about the different types of MS, the symptoms and treatment options. We'll be right back on Health for Life. Join us on a journey to better health. 
health for life. Simply put, that is why Hamilton Medical Center is here. From primary care and specialty care practices near you, an accredited chest pain center, a certified joint replacement program, a new children's institute, cancer institute, endoscopy center, and more. Hamilton is here for you and your family. Learn more at HamiltonHealth.com. Hamilton Healthcare System, health for life. If you're in need of medical care, don't delay. Your health won't wait. Hamilton Medical Center is ready to care for you. We are following CDC guidelines. Patients and guests are screened for COVID-19 symptoms. Those who are suspected to have the virus are treated in a separate area. Plus, Hamilton's high-powered UV light robots eliminate 99.9% of bacteria and viruses on surfaces. Please do not delay medical care. Your health won't wait. As always, Hamilton is here for you. Welcome back to Health for Life. Dr. Kabir, are there different types of multiple sclerosis? Yeah, so um, I think uh, we typically divide multiple sclerosis into four different uh, types. Some people think that some of these are stages of multiple sclerosis, really, and not actually different diseases, but this is how we're classified. There's something called clinically isolated syndrome, and then the most common version of multiple sclerosis is something called relapsing remitting multiple sclerosis. Mm -hmm. This can progress to secondary progressive multiple sclerosis, and there's also primary progressive multiple sclerosis, which is typically the most aggressive variant. Most aggressive, and that's the fourth? That's the fourth type, okay, yes. Gotcha. Hey, what are the symptoms of multiple sclerosis? So since uh, multiple sclerosis is a disease where your body just kind of attacks various parts of the nervous system and the central nervous system, the symptoms can really vary. There isn't particularly one thing that that is the case, but the standard symptoms, the ones we think of the most are visual loss or visual changes are very common, fatigue, numbness, tingling, uh, double vision, weakness. All of these are typically also seen in patients, but very common is also pain and numbness in uh, areas that don't really fit stroke symptoms or numbness in patients that don't really look like stroke patients. They're young and healthy otherwise a lot of the time. So really, it's uh, it's a little hard to put down, oh, yes, if you have this symptom, then it's definitely multiple sclerosis. You just have to be very vigilant. And, you know, if you're concerned, uh, definitely have a neurologist uh, um, try and help you figure out where these symptoms are coming from. You know, one of the things you mentioned was your eyes. I had never put multiple sclerosis and eye issues together. I never would have thought that. It's funny you say that. One of the fun things about neurology is that um, we tend to look at things that maybe other people don't. And I'm sure every job has this, but one of the things that's very common in multiple sclerosis patients is something called red desaturation, which means they can't see red very clearly, which is something you go about your life and not notice, you know, and mm-hmm. then someone says, hey, you know, why are you calling that this color? And then you have some other symptoms that also don't line up. Those are often how multiple sclerosis is actually diagnosed. So you want to really be on top of unusual symptoms like that, visual loss in an eye that you can't like, explain. Like blindness? Like blindness in one eye, yeah. You know, just you're just walking around and all of a sudden um, your body feels numb on one side or something like that. These are common presentations which make no sense to you because you're like, oh, I slept wrong on that arm or something. But a day later, you're like, I didn't sleep all day on my arm. What is going on? You know? So those are actually often when patients tell me happened. Now, sometimes uh, these symptoms you're telling me about sound like a stroke to me. They do. That's why getting urgent evaluation is is pretty important. Sometimes it comes on over a little time. Stroke tends to be very immediate, but you're right. You know, I mean, I, I can't definitively say that, oh, every time you have, you know, visual loss, it's either multiple sclerosis or stroke. It could honestly be either. And so you really do want your neurologist to help you, um, figure that out. 
Now, what are some of the causes you think of these symptoms? You know, I think the uh, underlying pathology or the underlying problem is that the body attacks the covering of the nerves in the brain. It's a protein called myelin, you know, if you want to get technical. But long story short, it's an autoimmune attack against myelin. We think what happens is this uh, loss of this myelin makes the brain's ability to transfer messages within itself much weaker than it normally would. And so that's why messages get garbled is essentially where your symptoms come from. A very common reason for that visual loss or the, the blindness that I'm talking about is that the nerves that go to the eye are the ones that are affected. So you should definitely always take visual loss or blindness that comes on very seriously. Does multiple sclerosis always cause paralysis? Well, that's the good news. In the last 10 years, I would say, we've changed multiple sclerosis treatment um, leaps and bounds. In fact, many of the treatments that were commonplace among neurologists who are not that much older than me are really not done anymore because we have so much better things out there right now. We really, really are very, very hopeful if we can get to the diagnosis early that we won't get to a point where the patient is paralyzed. But certainly, if you were diagnosed 20 years ago, 15 years ago, uh, you were, this was, I mean, it's still a very serious diagnosis, but there was a lot fewer options. There were not as many options as we have. So right there's now. a lot of medicine that they, there was was not there's, available to, to doctors. There before. is a ton of things you can do. There are many, many medicines that are what we call disease modifying medications. There's a lot of medicines that uh, help with the symptoms of multiple sclerosis. Some mm-hmm. of the stuff I talked about, about uh, visual changes or numbness and tingling, we can treat those. Fatigue, these are all symptoms that we can, uh, we can address. And the great thing is that oftentimes in neurological diseases, we really just focus on the symptoms. But this disease, we can actually focus on the problem itself. So that, that is really wonderful. Great. So early diagnosis is so important, especially in MS. Absolutely. Absolutely. We can really change the patient's disease course and, you know, life really uh, based on how things are. Not everybody obviously responds to, um, you know, everything that we have, but we certainly have drugs that are more and less aggressive, but may have more or less side effects. There's other considerations. A lot of our patients are young women that have multiple sclerosis. And so fertility considerations regarding having children are a major, major topic of conversation. We can tailor the treatment approach to what the patient's life goals are. If you're 55 and you're not planning on having any more children for whatever reason, that's one approach. Maybe uh, maybe when you're 18, you want a slightly different approach. The most important thing is you look at the workup, including the MRI and lumbar puncture, you decide how aggressive the disease is going to be. You look at the patient's goals, and then you decide what the correct treatment plan for the patient would be. And we have long conversations with the patient trying to decide together how we would proceed in terms of providing care. Yeah. Well, is multiple sclerosis, is MS, is that disease, is that a fatal disease? The disease itself typically isn't fatal, but if you uh, allow the disease to progress to the point where it can affect swallowing or you know, cause severe weight loss and things like that. There are some side effects of some of the older medicines in particular, but certainly some of the newer ones as well that can be devastating. Um, These are not light drugs to take, but nevertheless, the risks often outweigh the benefits and we can really give the patient life back. And now what about a cure? Is there a cure for multiple sclerosis? So the conventional answer to that is no. 
But that being said, uh, you know, I'll, I'll regale you with this. I was a very, very young resident a long, long time ago, um, my first year of residency after my medical school. And I met this guy at a convention and he said to me, he said, come work for me after we're done. We'll cure multiple sclerosis in Whoa, five years. Really? And I thought, <laughs> he's joking, right? And then three years later, he published a major article in a journal where he said, you know, essentially that he'd managed to cure multiple sclerosis in patients that were really, really, you know, completely refractory to treatment, would not respond to any other drugs. So I'm not saying that's always true or will work in every patient. But my point here is, I think that it's a very, very exciting time in if you're a researcher in the field and very, very hopeful time in patients of um, patients who have this disease. So I think we get very excited about being able to help. Um, so even though there's not a cure maybe today, there could be a cure soon. We're very close. Wow. What kind of treatments are available for MS? Right. Um, so typically the treatments focus on stopping the overactivity of the uh, body's inflammatory system. Mm -hmm. The biggest thing that the body does is it just kind of overreacts and starts attacking things that it's not supposed to attack using the same mechanism that the body would use to, say, attack a virus or a bacteria. What we want to do is to calm that system down. That being said, what we do is the disease-modifying drugs that we have, they typically act to modulate those symptoms. Other treatments that are available focus on symptom control, as I say. So those symptoms that we want to look at are nervous symptoms, lemmas and tingling, fatigue, anxiety, all of the other symptoms that come along with MS. Yeah, so that's what's available for this. Typically, when I see my multiple sclerosis patients, it'll be a longer visit because uh, we do want to make sure we address all of those symptoms. But, but, you know, we want to focus on giving the greatest quality of life back. So that's what we do. Why is early treatment so important in MS? What we think happens is as the nerves are damaged in multiple sclerosis, the tissue essentially dies, and so the brain shrinks. You want to get ahead of that as much as possible. So even when the... The, um, the brain shrinks? Yes. Yeah, so what happens is the brain very much loses, because of the constant attack from the body itself, mm -hmm. the brain tissue dies. And as the brain tissue dies, the brain itself can shrink oh in my. multiple sclerosis. Yes. So you want to get ahead of that as much as you can. There are certain drugs who uh, demonstrate their effectiveness specifically by reducing the amount of brain shrinkage over time. So we do have drugs that specifically target that. But what's great is whatever works best for you. Do you want a drug that you take once a day or twice a day? Do you want a drug that's an infusion you get, say, two or three days in the hospital, and then you don't have to have anything for six months? Do you want to take two injections? This might have a few side effects, but then never need another dose again. That's also available in the treatment for multiple sclerosis. Yes. So there's lots of options out there. Thankfully, we have access to all of this at Hamilton Medical Center. And so your neurologist can go through with you the risks and benefits of each of these things um, and actually tell you uh, where to go. Now, these were drugs that weren't available a, a decade ago. Or absolutely. In the last 15 years, um, these were, you know, some researcher in a lab bench somewhere in, you know, Emory or Texas or and just, in the United and Kingdom. discovered and, this. And we said, you know what, how can we make this safe and effective for our patients? And, you know, in the last 10 years, we really have managed to do that. Wow. Great information. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to switch gears. We're going to talk about some other neuromuscular disorders. We'll be back on Health for Life. 
If you're in need of medical care, don't delay. Your health won't wait. Hamilton Medical Center is ready to care for you. We are following CDC guidelines. Patients and guests are screened for COVID-19 symptoms. Those who are suspected to have the virus are treated in a separate area. Plus, Hamilton's high-powered UV light robots eliminate 99.9% of bacteria and viruses on surfaces. Please do not delay medical care. Your health won't wait. As always, Hamilton is here for you. Join us on a journey to better health. Health for life. Simply put, that is why Hamilton Medical Center is here. From primary care and specialty care practices near you, an accredited chest pain center, a certified joint replacement program, a new children's institute, cancer institute, endoscopy center, and more. Hamilton is here for you and your family. Learn more at HamiltonHealth.com. Hamilton Health Care System. Health for life. Welcome back to Health for Life. Dr. Kabir, what are the most common types of neuromuscular disorders? So one of the ones that we talk about a lot is amyotrophic lateral sclerosis or ALS. That's Lou Gehrig's disease? That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, A famous baseball player, I guess. Uh, Mm -hmm. This is my knowledge of uh, sports. I apologize (laughs) for that. But um, who was affected with, uh, with a similar disease. But neuromuscular diseases, disorders like ALS are very prevalent. What you have to do is figure out what the problem is. So in ALS, what happens is the nerve cells in the upper and lower motor neurons, is what we call them, are affected. So your typical symptom when you initially come is weakness or difficulty swallowing, depending on which muscle is actually affected. And then what happens is as time passes, you lose the nerves telling the muscles what to do. So as the nerves die, the muscles are don't know how to carry out the commands that the brain wants them to carry out. Unfortunately, at least in the past, patients would die within a few years of the diagnosis of this disease. But thankfully, we've gotten a little better about early diagnosis and we can really get in there. So as with all uh, neurological diseases in the last 10, 15 years, there's been significant changes in the drugs available and the approaches to identifying and treating these diseases. So, now, what, what causes ALS? What's so, the cause of that? Yeah, it's uh, that's been a, a very hotly debated topic for a long time. I think one of the biggest things that people think about is, my dad had it, Would I, am I going to have it? And I think that's definitely a part of the picture. The most common genes that are implicated are something called C9 or F. 32, which is a big word, and something called superoxide dismutase or SOD1. But that really only accounts for, I wouldn't say the majority by any chance of ALS. Sometimes it's just sporadic. Um, A mutation somewhere causes the nerve cells to die and then you get the symptoms. Now, speaking of symptoms, what are the symptoms of ALS? So the biggest things you want to look at in ALS are um, weakness. Typically, it's gradual onset. So you start to complain, why is my hand weak? Or why am I having difficulty swallowing? Or I find it harder to breathe now, that sort of thing. A very common thing is changes in uh, pitch in the voice. Your voice starts sounding different. But given that, you know, the, the rate of progression is so variable in uh, diseases like ALS, it's uh, sometimes stuff you won't even notice. Like, oh, I'm just getting older. That's why I'm not that strong. But, you know, other people your age don't have any trouble with whatever it is you're talking about. So you can have those things as well. When it comes to treatment, how is ALS treated? So unfortunately, ALS is one of those diseases we don't really have a cure for yet. We do have two medications that are FDA approved to slow the progression of symptoms somewhat. Mm -hmm. Uh, One is called Rilazole or Rilitec. 
Sputnik, and the other one is called Idarovone or Radikava. Both of these things slow the progression of the disease somewhat. We think that the most important task, though, is to make sure that you've diagnosed the disease correctly because then you have a better idea for what the disease course is going to look like. And more importantly, is it not ALS, but something that is treatable? So, for example, I'd mentioned at the beginning that these diseases can come on as a result of exposure to viruses or something like that. Those things are eminently treatable, and certainly the patient can be completely normal with correct treatment. So what you do want to do, though, when you're treating ALS is make sure that you're addressing all the symptoms. So typically, this includes the medication we talked about, but also physical therapy, speech therapy, any difficulties with breathing or uh, swallowing uh, should be addressed. Uh, Sometimes that requires using machines that can help you breathe, oxygen, that sort of thing. But that can make the world's difference to a patient's experience with the disease. That is very encouraging. Thank you so much for the information. I always love being here. I'm I'm always glad whenever you come see us. I'm so proud you're here. Thank you for sharing all this information. For more information or an appointment at Hamilton Physician Group Neurology, call 706-275-6121 or visit hamiltonhealth.com slash neurology. This program in no way seeks to diagnose or treat illness or to replace professional medical care. Please see your health care provider if you have a health problem. Join us on a journey to better health. Health for life. Simply put, that is why Hamilton Medical Center is here. From primary care and specialty care practices near you, an accredited chest pain center, a certified joint replacement program, a new children's institute, cancer institute, endoscopy center, and more. Hamilton is here for you and your family. Learn more at HamiltonHealth.com. Hamilton Health Care System. Health for life. Thank you for listening to Health for Life, a presentation of Hamilton Health Care System. 